Good morning, church. Y'all doing all right this morning? They moved this microphone. That's going to be trouble. That means I can move a lot farther. Uh, no, it's good to be here. It's good to continue to worship with you. I'm so glad that you have chosen to worship us because, you know, this is a beautiful autumn day where it's been almost 100 degrees this week, right? I mean, where is fall? It should be nice and cool and wonderful outside. Come the coolness, Lord Jesus. But we continue our sermon series on the book of Ephesians, which I see as kind of like a Christianity 101. It talks about our relationship as the church to God. And so we started a few weeks ago with Ashley, who preached about this idea that God loves us so deeply that he adopts us into the family. You know, the original family of God was the Jewish people. One of the beautiful lines in Scripture is that we are adopted into the family of God. And so it's about God's incredible and gracious love for all of humanity. No longer are there two camps, but there's one, all the people that God loves. So first we need to know that we are loved. And then our response to that love is to say yes to God. We believe that God is working in our hearts from our birth until the day that we say yes to God. And then something happens. We become new creations in Jesus Christ. And it starts this lifelong journey where we, as followers of Jesus, become more and more like Christ throughout our life. There's a third part as we initiate the faith that I think is absolutely, incredibly important. And that's what we're talking about today. This idea that we have a new family, that God has this global, multi-ethnic family that includes all of creation. And we're talking a little bit about that in a moment. You know, I think this is really difficult for most of us because we have been taught from little kids on up that we are supposed to be tough and independent and do things on our own and that to ask for help is weakness. I know this is something I definitely struggle with over and over again, and I had a a great example of it this week. So we had taken some of the tables into the living room and had taken up some of the chairs so that we'd have places to sit for our fifth Sunday breakout and potluck. And I was setting up the chairs and tables and it was right before the women's Bible study and Lucy had gotten here and I was carrying all these tables in and I was just doing it by myself. And she's like, David, do you want some help? And of course I'm thinking, why would I ask for help? I've got this. So I'm putting out the chairs. And then one time I had, I had brought the, the cart in and I unloaded all the chairs off of one cart and I just needed five more chairs, right? I can comfortably carry four chairs. So I get from the top of the thing and I I do this like deadlift. I put them on my shoulders and it was all fine until I got in here and I had to set the chairs down. And so I end up like trying to set them down. But as I set them down, they just like fell and they just went crashed all over the sanctuary. And then I just kind of look over at Lucy as she's laughing at me. It's not easy for me to ask for help, even in something as simple as, hey, Lucy, will you come grab one chair so I can carry you the four chairs that I can comfortably carry? And, I, and I'd be willing to bet that I'm not the only man in this room that struggles with that, right, ladies? There's some men in your life that maybe struggle with, with not asking for help. And I'd be willing to bet that there's some women in this room that struggle with this too, right, men? That, uh, that all the ladies, that this is, this is something that we struggle with as humans. We think that we can do this on our own. And it's true to a certain extent. Your faith is about your relationship to God, right? No one can choose that for you. No one can do that for you. It is a step that you have to choose to take. But I'm telling you this morning that if you just want to have that individualized faith where you say, I don't need to come to worship. I don't need to be a part of a church. I don't need to be a part of a small group. I have my relationship with God. That's all that matters. 
There's a truth to that. You can have a relationship with God in that way. But you're missing out on so much. The family of God is meant to be a gift. We're meant to be a gift for each other and support and to love one, one another in ways that maybe we don't get even from our biological families. Today, that's what we're going to talk about, how God has created this new worldwide multi-ethnic family for us to be a part of and how it's a wonderful thing most of the time. Because we all know sometimes that it's not. But we're here to be in loving support for one another. So our scripture today picks up right where we left off last week in Ephesians. So I want to invite you to take your Bible and maybe even take it to work. And if you have a coffee break, read your Bible and read through the book of Ephesians over the next few weeks. Because it is, it's, it's this God laying out this kind of 101 of how to follow God in Ephesians. And it's relevant to you if you're a new Christian, and it's relevant to you if you've been a Christian all your life. So starting with verse 11. So remember that you were once Gentiles by physical descent, who were called uncircumcised by Jews, who were physically circumcised. Now, I really don't want to get into <laughs> what exactly circumcision is, but let's just say on the eighth day for male Jewish children, they were circumcised, and this defined who they were as followers of God. In fact, God almost kills Moses. If you read it, this really interesting passage in Exodus where God comes to kill Moses because he has not circumcised his child. This is how important it was. This was the covenantal moment that families made with God to say, we are Jewish, we are following your law, this is what you're doing. But there's a problem here. When God's people were only the Jewish people, that was fine. But can you imagine going up to a person, tell them about your religion, and say, you know, it's great, God loves you, you serve God, there's 643 laws, you know, don't worry about it, there's a book. Oh, by the way, gentlemen, you have to get circumcised. There's going to be a few people who are going to pause before they say, yeah, I want to come be a part of that, right? And it separated people. And not only that, the interesting thing about circumcision is only males can be circumcised. So women, in a sense, can't even participate in the covenant. He said there were Jewish people and there were Gentiles. So the Jewish people, the people of God, the Gentiles, everybody else. And I, I don't know all of your family history and background, but folks, we're the Gentiles. We're the everybody else. At that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens rather than citizens of Israel, strangers to the covenants of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God. Now, what he's saying is that they didn't have access to the covenant promise. They would have had to convert and become Jewish to have access to God. Now, that's not necessarily the reality for most of us in this room because we have Christ and we, we understand that we can have access to God through our relationship with Jesus. But I'd be willing to say that all of us have felt like a stranger, right? All of us have felt like an alien. All of us have felt alone, lonely, and lost in this world. And so this scripture should reach out to you right in your heart. And Jesus said, all those, or Paul saying, all those in, that have ever felt like a stranger or lost or an alien or like they didn't fit in or they didn't belong, this is who God is talking to in this moment. He says, you have a home in the family of God. There is a place for you. Not about who we are, but who God is. There's a place for everyone. Now hear this. 
But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, you once who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the gospel, right? That we have access to God because Jesus sacrificed on a cross for us. We were once far away. Now we have been brought near to God. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. We need to hear that today. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of two groups making peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which has ended the hostility to God. Do you hear what it's saying? Through the death of Jesus and his resurrection, we are made one body. There's no longer two groups of humanity or a hundred groups of humanity. There is one group of humanity. Now, some of us are prodigal. We haven't said yes to God yet, but we're still part of God's family. And if you don't believe that, that all people are part of God's, all of God's creation is part of God's family, because there's some people who say you only become a child of God once you say yes to Christ, and I don't think that's true. And I'd love to discuss it if you disagree with me. Because I, I hear the verse of Scripture that we say every single day, that while we are yet sinners, that Christ died for us. God doesn't divide us into the saved and the unsaved he says, those are all my children. Some of them are prodigal. Remember the story of the prodigal son where the prodigal son walks away and asks for an inheritance and walks away and he goes and he wastes it all? That's what most of humanity has done, right? They have an inheritance for God and they have asked for it from God and they've gone and they've wasted it on everything else in the world. But the amazing thing about that story is that prodigal son comes home and it says that he comes home with a servant heart. It's not like he just comes home and he wants to go get some more of the father's wealth to go waste it again. No, he comes home with a servant heart and he confesses, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. One of the most beautiful things about this scripture of the prodigal son, and I invite you to go read it, it's in Luke. It says, the father noticed when he was a long way off. The father had been watching. You don't notice your prodigal son coming from a long way off unless you were watching day by day. God doesn't divide us into groups, the church and not the church, the saved, the unsaved. We're the ones who divide us into groups. We want everybody to be a part of the church. There's not one body. We are one humanity. We are one family. There are just people who have said yes to God and people who have not yet said yes to God, but that we should desperately desire to get them to say yes with all that we have and all of who we are because we want them to be a part of this incredible family that God offers us. When he came, he announced the good news of peace. This is verse 17. To you who are far away and to those who are near, to everyone. We both have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. So now you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens with God and you belong to God's household. As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is the building, building you into the place where God lives through the Spirit. So what he's talking about is that, you know, there's this building that God is doing. So before, God resided in the temple. There was a literal, physical building that God resided in called the temple. And God lived there with the people of Israel. But when they went in exile, God leaves and goes back to the heavenly realms 
and never returns to a physical building again. And now what he's saying is that God has got this new building that he's creating, and Jesus is the cornerstone. And if you know much about like architecture, you know that, especially in the old days, they would place one stone, and that would be the cornerstone, and it was the most vital, important stone in the building. It's the thing that everything else would be built on. And then he says, at the end, the foundation was laid with apostles and the prophets. And on that foundation, the apostles and the prophets being those who came before, especially those in Jesus, the disciples that he chose who became the apostles, right? He built this foundation and that Jesus is building a temple, but the temple isn't actually made of stone. It's made on, of you and it's made of me as God's massive family that he's inviting people in. No longer is it a place that we go to to worship God. We literally have God in our hearts. We have invited the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, and we have God in our heart. You don't need to go to a temple. You don't need to go to a physical place. There's a reason we don't call this a temple, because it's not a temple. God is here because we are here, because we're gathering. where two or three are gathered in God's name, God is there as well. We don't need a physical space because we are the temple of God. Now let's put all that together, okay? Let's put all what we've talked about together, that, there, that God has this worldwide family, that there are people who have said yes to God and there are people who have not said yes to God, and God is building this temple with us of this holiness, and we are to be sent out into the world. And I think about baptism and the difference between baptism and circumcision. Circumcision, which only can happen to children, on the eighth day, and only male children at that, right? It's a very exclusive way of doing things. Now, God always wanted the people of God to be a light. He just needed them to be separate because because they didn't have the Holy Spirit and they would be in the world, they would not be able to resist the temptation of being like everyone else, right? And so they had to have the laws and the rules and the circumcision so they could stay separate and holy. But now we have baptism, which is the new circumcision, and think about who baptism is offered to. You know, in the Methodist church, we baptize children. And one of the reasons is for this very reason is we don't want there to be anyone who does not have access to the covenant of God. We don't exclude anybody from that. Where they are babies all the way up until the day they die. Everyone has an access to God. That's what baptism represents for us. Is that you are saying yes, and you're making a covenant to God. Now, for babies, we kind of, as a family of God and the family of the baby, we make that covenant choice for them. But at some point, they have to make the choice for themselves. At some point, they have to say, this faith that has been given to me, I have to take up as my own. But baptism is universal. Anybody can participate in it. It's not exclusive. You know, I think in our world, we want to... Think about who is in and who is out, who we can love and who we can't love. Even, in, even that song, which is based on Scripture, Defender, where it talks about, you know, God brings the head of my enemy to me. I just stopped me down for a second. I was like, oh, man, that's an interesting thing to say. And I, I understand where it comes from in Scripture. But that's what we want God to do, right? We want God to present the heads of our enemies to fight our battles and defeat our enemies. It's not really the picture that Jesus gives. In fact, Jesus kind of say, say, tells us to love our enemies, to wish and pray good things on our enemies. In fact, to invite them into the family of God. You know, this, some people think that love is weak. Some people think that it's better to be violent or to really enforce your will through physical force. 
I think that's one of the things we're taught. I can't think of anything stronger than love in this world. Just think about the love of a Savior, of God who becomes human, dwells among us, becomes like us, loves us so much that he teaches us how to live, loves us so much that is ridiculed and beaten and tortured and taken to the cross. There is nothing stronger than to sacrifice your life for others. And that's what being about this family is all about. This holy, universal family of God, we are supposed to give everything out of love, especially for those who would hate us. So why would people ever turn this down? I'm not really sure. I think an individual faith, one that we try to do on our own without other people, is kind of boring. It's much more interesting to be a part of church, right? <laughs> because we're a bunch of misfits that have come together and we love each other and we have different ways of doing things and we think about things differently and sometimes we have conflict and that's okay. But I had a great example of how great the church is this week. I was talking to Lee earlier and there were a couple of girls who came up to the pumpkin patch and uh, they were buying pumpkins for their teachers and it turns out they had about $4 short, Right? And uh, so they went home, and they got a few dollars, but they only ended up still about a dollar short. And then Leo, the goodness of his heart, said, I'll pay that dollar. It's not a big deal. And they were shocked. Like, you don't even know us. My brother wouldn't even give me a dollar, and he's my brother. (laughs) (laughs) That's the church, though, folks. Sometimes when our earthly families let us down, the church steps up and says, there's a place for you. There's a home for you. I'll take care of you even when your family won't because we love you. And you're part of us. Maybe you haven't said yes yet, but you're part of us, part of this incredible, wonderful family that God has created. So how do we become more like a family? I think the first thing is that we always have to remember there's always room for one more. I think this is incredibly important because in our earthly families, they're kind of closed systems, right? Right? You can marry into them, and then some, that may or may not seem like you're adding someone to the family, depending on who you are. But you, they're closed. Other people decide who's in and who's out of the family, right? That's not the church, though. The church, there's always room for one more. There's always an empty seat at the table. Well, we'll pull up a seat at the table. We'll make room in the sanctuary. We'll make room in our life group. Come over for dinner. There are no strangers in God's world. They're just people you have not yet gotten to know yet. So the first thing is there's always room for one more. The same thing is I think that our church needs to reflect the diversity of our schools. Do you know that Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in America? Because we tend to group with like instead of celebrating our differences. But if you look at our schools, they're very diverse. We tend to go to worship with people who want the same style of music as us, who want the same style of worship as us, it gets a little messy if we let other cultures and people of different races in because then they may want to bring in their culture. They may want to sing music their way. They may want preaching their way. And we want it our ways. It's more about our preferences than reflecting this beautiful multi-ethnic church that God desires, this beautiful multi-ethnic family. We need a desire for our church to look like our schools. It should be very similar. And right now it's not. So be praying about how we as a church can be more like the world around us, more diverse. 
We also need to spend time following the example of Christ. Jesus cared about community. Jesus spent three years in ministry devoting his life. You know what's interesting about Christ is that he had this power to heal. That's a really important thing, right? People who are sick. He could have spent his entire three years just healing people. He had a lot to teach. He spent his entire three years teaching people good things. But think about all the times he stopped down and he spent in relationship with people. We need to be passionate about community like Christ is. We need to love one another as Christ loved the disciples and his followers and the church and the compassion he had on other people. To be more like a family, we need to be more like Christ. We need to trust one another. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to sharpen one another. We need to tell each other that, you know, maybe that lifestyle isn't what we're called to do. Maybe these things aren't good for you. We talked last week about how sin is destruction between relationships of people last week or if destruction in a relationship with God. And in a loving way, we have to be able to hold our family accountable and say, this isn't right. We've got to be able to speak prophetically when there's evil in the world. We've got to hold one another accountable. So the family is messy. The family is difficult, but it's something that we are called to. And if we want to live the most abundant life possible, the most abundant life, the most wonderful life that God has designed for us, it's not to run away from the mess and the difficulty, but to turn and run into it. Because that's what God has prepared us for. We had another powerful example of this week, of this idea of that the family is not just the people who are inside the walls, but all the world. I'm going to show you a clip. This was from the news earlier this week. Right, and die, just like my brother did. But I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. I don't know if you know the story, but Amber Geiger went into the wrong apartment, and she thought her apartment was being broken into. She's a police officer, and she shot the person that was in her apartment, and it turns out that she went into the wrong apartment. And there's a lot here. She was convicted for 10 years, but there's a lot here uh, with uh, police and racial justice and a lot of things, but I really want to zero into this particular concept right here. The way that the brother of Botham Jean reached out and said, I just want you to know Christ. Here's someone who killed her brother, his brother. That I forgive you, I love you, and I just want you to know Jesus. I don't even want you to go to jail. What a powerful statement of love. That's a statement of love 
that we need for the world. But I was watching this this morning, something else stood out to me. And I think this is the true tragedy of this. This man, Botham and Amber, lived next to each other. They were neighbors. And when she went into his apartment, she didn't know who he was. That's the way our world is, right? What if they had spent some time getting to know their neighbors, loving them like family? Then maybe this would never have happened and this young man would still be alive. Do you know your neighbors? Do you treat them like family? Have you gotten to know the people who live around you, who live near you, the people you go to work with, the people you go to school with? Because those people God has put in your life to invite you into the family. We have been loved so powerfully. It makes us want to say yes to Christ. We become these new creatures and we come to this place, this, this temple where heaven and earth meet and we're just loving the world as best we can. We have to remember though, that we're called to be a family. And if we want the abundant life that Jesus promises us, we're called to be a family. But it's a family that doesn't just include the people in this room. It includes every single person that you cross paths with this week. I want to challenge you this week. Who's one person that God has put on your heart to invite to be part of this family? And I want you to reach out to them. They may say yes, they may say no. Invite them to come to worship with you next week and share the greatest gift that any of us have ever given. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.